today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and also Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. Now hear the word of God. You can follow in your uh, iPhone or in your uh, Bible. Hear the word of God. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, go, to, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possession they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him from there he went on toward the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord Genesis 22 verses 1 through 12 Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamp for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamp for the burnt offering, my son, and two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, this is the word of God. Amen. Oh. 
Welcome to New Mercy. So glad that everyone's here, and we're all here to worship uh, Jesus. Thank you to Mercy Miners, the youth group. Thank you. <laughs> um, they're joining us for service today. Um, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the intern pastors here at New Mercy, and I'm just glad that you can uh, join us for, uh, for worship today. If you're, if you're a newcomer and you're visiting us for the first time, you know, we welcome you. And I know I just want to catch you up on what our church has been doing. So for the past month and a half, I think for the first time in our church history, we've actually had uh, two sermon series going on simultaneously at the same time. Um, the Why God series by Pastor Key and Christian Living by Pastor Wanjay. Um, they both did a fabulous job with those series. I think they're happy that they don't have to preach for like two weeks after like preaching for six weeks straight. But, um, you know... They did a fabulous job with the series, so if you get a chance, I highly recommend that you check out our New Mercy podcast, um, and yeah, just catch up on them if you get a chance. Um, but today is Thanksgiving Sunday, woo! and um, we have Thanksgiving coming up on this Thursday, and I'm really excited. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday by far. Um, you know, I hate it at the malls when all the Christmas lights and Santa's already out. I think it's so disrespectful to Thanksgiving um, that, you know, that they would celebrate that early. Um, but Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. You know, you get to eat, um, then you take a nap, then you wake up feeling heavy and nasty and groggy. And, and, and for Thanksgiving tradition at my house, uh, my mom makes yukejang for dinner, you know, something light and like clean. So like praise the Lord for Korean food. Um, but yeah, with Thanksgiving coming up and knowing that I have to preach on Thanksgiving Sunday, I was, um, you know, I was like really reflecting on what I'm thankful for this year and what I'm going to preach about. And, and rather than give a sermon about how to be thankful or uh, what does it mean to be thankful, I wanted to preach on worship because I was reflecting and I was thinking that, you know, what I'm most thankful for this year is worship. That we get the privilege and honor to worship God the Father, Jesus the King, Holy Spirit the Comforter and Empower, no matter what season we're in. Right? That even if I'm in the mountain high or the valley lows, that I'm still called to worship. Because worship is ultimately acknowledging and recognizing that God is worthy. Like, how many of you guys know that worship, the word worship, comes from the old English word worth-ship? That the core of worship, it's, a, it's about giving worth to God because he's good, he's faithful, and, and he's just simply worthy. So despite the narrative of changing circumstances and seasons that we find ourselves in, we're called to worship where we are because the worthiness of Jesus never changes. Amen? So at this time, let me just um, open us up with a quick word of prayer before we dive into the story of Abraham. Jesus, we thank you that your presence is in this place. Lord, with Thanksgiving coming up, we thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you will do. You're worthy, Jesus. And Lord, because of your presence, we lack nothing. We lack nothing because your presence never leaves us nor forsakes us. So at this time, Lord, would you just convict our hearts to be thankful in all circumstances, to worship your holy name in all seasons. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. Uh, one of the things that I really had to trust God this past year was finances. Um, 
I don't think a lot of people know, but I was jobless for like half of the year, and it was like a struggle um, to get by. And it's only really by the generosity of a few certain people in my life that you know I was able to survive. And, and most of it is because um, right now I'm a full-time student at seminary in Nyack, New York, and also having this internship here at New Mercy. Uh, my schedule and my availability is so limited that you know, like, no manager was willing to hire me for like a day or two. Um, but in September, by the grace of God, I got hired by the clothing store American Apparel. For those of you like American Apparel, uh, oh, thank you, thank you for the clap. <laughs> um, for those of you uh, who want any discounts from American Apparel, I can hook you up. You can talk to me after service. Um, but it's been really interesting um, working there. I work with college students, so um, you know everyone's interested in um, everyone else's lives outside of work. So when they find out that I'm a pastor, everyone's like, whoa, you're like super religious. Like, wow, you're actually doing something that you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And, you know, they, they start asking questions like, what's considered a sin? Like, as a pastor, can you do cocaine? And I'm like, no, I don't think anyone should do cocaine. <laughs> and, you know, they ask me like, are you allowed to kiss? Are you allowed to have sex? Are you allowed to get married, have kids? And I'm like, yeah, I think that only applies to like Catholic priests and nun. And in my head, I'm thinking like, Jesus, thank you so much that I get to experience the blessing of marriage, making love and having kids. Like all the married couples in here, can I get an amen? All right, you guys were louder. You guys were louder than Edgewater service. So I'm going to take a survey at each service and I'll, I'll tweet it tonight, which, which service loves making love the most. <laughs> you can find the results on my Facebook tonight. But yeah, while I'm thankful for being able to get this job with my very limited availability, um, you know, it's just been a frustrating season for me, if I'm being very honest, right? It's just been a frustrating season for me. And I, and I don't mean that um, out of a sense of entitlement, like, oh, I'm too good for retail, or I don't mean that in, in, coming from a place of ingratitude. Trust me, I'm really thankful for this job. But working at American Apparel, it's been a season of frustration, of hiddenness, of waiting, because a lot of the times I find myself working in the back stock, room, back stock room of American Apparel, and it's just this little dingy room with, like, no ventilation. It's dim. It smells. There's, like, clothes all over the place. And oftentimes I find myself, like, folding clothes and putting things away, and I'm like, seriously, Josh, what the heck are you doing here? Like, there's other people who are in full-time ministry. There's, there's other people who are getting married you know, one of my favorite pastors, Banning Leafshire, like, when he was my age, he was, like, leading whole youth group revival movements. And I'm just working in the backstock room of American Apparel. So it's just been a season of hiddenness, of, of waiting, of frustration, and asking God, like, God, have you forgotten about me? Like, have you forgotten about me and the promises that you've spoken into my life? Like, God, why am I stuck in this season for so long? And I think that's one of the biggest struggles that we face in our time, struggling with timelines. Like, we often might think to ourselves, man, like, I, sh- I-, I-, like I should be somewhere else right now. I should be married by now. I should have this many kids by now. Like, I should be this type of mother or father to my children by now. I should be along this point in my career by now. I should be further along. I think for many of us, it's a war to love God where we are. One of the main battles that we face in our walk of faith is loving God right where we are. And this is something that Abraham himself was confronted with. That This is something that he had to wrestle and struggle with. This is something that he understood in his journey with God. So we get to today's passage in Genesis 12, and this is after, you know, God um, started 
you know, the whole world over by sending the flood, and he saves this family of Noah, and, and, through, and, and through this family of Noah, he chooses one man named Abram. You know, we know him as Abraham, but at this point in the beginning of the story, he's known as Abram. And, and basically, God chooses Abraham to redeem, to start the plan of redeeming the world. Abraham's family would become the nation of Israel, right? And through this nation of Israel and the covenant relationship that she would have with God, that all the other nations will be blessed as well and come to know God as well. So God speaks promises into Abraham's life. Right? He speaks two promises. Number one, he says, I'm going to give this land that I'm going to show you. And the second thing that he promises into Abraham is this, that I'm going to give you many descendants. Right? Remember that Abraham at this time is 75 years old and he, he's childless. His wife Sarah is barren. And with those two promises, God would make Abraham into a great nation and all the families on earth will be blessed by him. So God commands Abraham to leave his, his, his homeland and to journey into the land of Canaan. So Abraham takes his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, his livestock, his whole household, his possessions. And, and by faith and in obedience, he journeys into this land of Canaan. And when Abraham gets there, God reaffirms the promise again. And we read in today's passage that it says this, that I will give this land to your offsprings, to your descendants. And what does Abraham do? Abraham, in that moment, he builds an altar and dedicates it to God. And this idea of building altars, it's so important in Abraham's life because we see that Abraham, he doesn't just build an altar once, but he builds altars after altars in different seasons and in different places throughout his lifetime. Like in Genesis 12, we've already seen that he builds a couple altars here. In Genesis 13 in Hebron, he builds another altar And in Genesis 21, we actually get this cool worship scene where maybe instead of building an altar, Abraham actually plants a tree and he calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord shows up and he worships God. You see, altars were a place of slaughter, a place of sacrifice in the Old Testament. But it it had more significance than just being a place of slaughter. It, it It was a way to remind yourself of the divine promises that you had with God. It was a way to claim the property and the land that you were in. It served as memorials of the divine encounters that you experienced with the one and true living God. But ultimately, altars functioned as the meeting place between God and man. Right? Altars were the place where one, where one worshipped God. And if you look at Abraham building altars, he built them anytime and anywhere. Like back in Abraham's day, you worshipped where you were. You worshipped where you were. There wasn't a building that you all gathered in. There wasn't an FDU university that Abraham and the tribes all gathered in. There wasn't a group of people that you worshipped together with, maybe besides your family. There wasn't like a hipster, like guitar praise team leader or like a drums and a whole praise team that would lead you into worship. But instead, the father of the household at that time, he would build an altar out of stone and he would gather his family around and they would slaughter an animal and they would worship God right where they were. So therefore, as Abraham is building altars after altars in different seasons and in different places, we see that the heart of Abraham is this, that God, I can worship you anywhere. My life is worship. Where I'm at is a place of worship. And thankfully today in modern society, we don't have to worship like this. We don't have to go kill, out, like go kill a squirrel and then place it on an altar, and, and then that's called worship. And you know, ultimately, thanks to Jesus being the last and ultimate sacrifice, we don't have to go through the system anymore. But 
I still think that this idea of building altars applies to us today in our modern society. It applies, us to, it applies to us today in that we're still called to worship right where we are. We're called to worship right where we are because worship is more than just an event on Sunday. Amen? Worship isn't something that's compartmentalized just for two hours of your week. Worship isn't a realm that's set apart from the rest of your life. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. He says this. He says, life isn't divided by the sacred and secular. Your whole life is worship. Even in John 8, 29, Jesus says this. I always do what pleases the Father. I always do what pleases the Father. And he's basically saying that everything I do is an act of worship unto God. Like everything I do is an act of worship. That's why everything I do pleases the Father. Like Jesus understood that there was no such thing as a divided life between the sacred and the secular because your whole life was worship. And Abraham, in his journey, in his life, he understood this as well. That building altars and worshiping God wasn't just something that you do once a week, but it's something that you do in every season where you're at. And the pretty amazing thing about Abraham's journey is that you can kind of trace his whole life by looking at the places and in the different seasons that he built his altars, right? Like Abraham's life goes to show that worship is a journey, that your life is a journey of worship. In the beginning of the story in Genesis 12, we see that Abraham is entering into a season of promise, right? That God's promising him that you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to give you so many offsprings and descendants that I'm going to give you this land. And, you know, seasons of promises are awesome. We've all experienced those seasons. It's so easy to worship God in those seasons. There's hope. And so we see Abraham in this season of promise building an altar as we see in the beginning in Genesis 12, and he worships the Lord. But not too far after that, we actually see Abraham in a season of doubting. There's a famine that comes into the land of Canaan. So Abraham takes matters into his own hands and he, and he, forced, and he moves his whole family to Egypt to get food, to secure stability. Right? He takes matters into his own hand. And, and, and things kind of go downhill from there. Like Abraham is scared that because he has a beautiful wife, Sarah, that if, you know, Pharaoh would want his, you know, his wife. So he does like this weird thing where he like offers up his wife to Pharaoh and he, you know, just trying to save his own life. Like hashtag not the husband of the year. You know, hashtag not things not to do as a husband, right? But even in the season of doubting, even in the season of taking matters into his own hand, we see that Abraham in Genesis 13, he builds an altar and he still worships God in this season of doubt. And later in Genesis 22, we get to um, the season of blessing and fulfillment. Abraham has finally received Isaac, his one and only son that God promised to him about 20 plus years ago. He's finally living the promise out. But God kind of like throws him a curveball and God commands Abraham to sacrifice your son, your one and only son, whom you love so much. So even in the season of blessing, even in the season of fulfillment, even when God throws a curveball at him, we see in the second half of our passage today that even still Abraham builds an altar in this season, even if it would mean that it would cost him his own son, even if it would cost him the, the very promise that he's been wanting for so long. You see, God invites us into seasons. He leads us in seasons, and he walks with us through seasons. 
God is worshipped in seasons, and God is known in seasons. And that's why I believe that worship is so important. Worship is so important because your worship tells the story of your journey with God through all different seasons. Amen? Your worship is a narrative that shows other people your walk with God. I mean, like, we see this in the life of Abraham, right? That his faith is developed through seasons, right? That he comes to know God, that his journey with God isn't just a plateau, but it's ups and downs, that he knows God as, 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 as a promise keeper in one season. He knows God as a provider in another season. He knows God as a covenant maker in one season, right? Your, whole, your worship is a story that tells the journey that you're walking with God. Like, seasons are important. Seasons are important. Seasons are a sacred and divine invitation from God to know him. You know, for the past three months while I'm working in American Apparel, like, you know, I've been praying to God, like, God, I can't wait for this season to be over. Like, I just can't wait for this season to be over. Like, I understand, God, that this season is to sow, this season is to learn, this season is to prepare me for the, the, for the seasons to come. But, like, God, I'm excited for the you know, future seasons because the future seasons are going to be great. Like, the best is yet to come, God. Like, I can't wait for this moment, for this season to pass. And I remember after praying that one time, like, I felt like God gently rebuked me as a father and, he, and encouraged me. And he was saying like this, he's saying, yes, Josh, like, you don't understand the future that I have planned for you. Like, I have great, amazing things in store for you. And yeah, for sure, no doubt that the best is yet to come. But don't overlook the season that you're in right now. Because every season is a sacred, divine invitation for me to know me where you're at. Every season is a sacred invitation from me. So will you worship me with everything in this season because you may never get the season back, Josh? And I'm just like, wow, God. Right, that every season is a sacred invitation. And it's easy to think that, you know, certain seasons are just seasons that are passing. It's, it's easy to think that, you know, maybe this season is just a season where God's teaching me something. But, I mean, what kind of father, if God is a good, good father like we sing at church, like what kind of father would God be if, if he only uses seasons to teach us and it's just, getting, it's just preparing us for like the next season and the next season? Right? What kind, of, what kind of father would God be? But, but God is so good that in every season there's value. And in every season it's an opportunity, it's an invitation to know him in a new way, to experience his presence in different ways that we've never been able to experience before. That's the heart of the Father with seasons. And the most amazing thing that I've experienced at New Mercy is just kind of seeing all the different seasons that people are in. It's like, it's crazy. I feel like babies are popping out left and right. Like, people are getting married. Um, You know, it's just amazing the variety of seasons that people are in. Some of us, you know, we recently got engaged, and we're about to start a new chapter in our life with our future spouse and our future partner, while other of us are still single, and like the wise words of my girl Beyonce, still waiting for someone to put a ring on it. Some of us are in a season of fulfillment, and we finally got that job. We finally got that promotion. We finally got a kid after praying for so long. But others of us are still in a season of hiddenness, are still in a season of waiting on the promises of God. Some of us, were in a season of healing, and after years of our brokenness, we finally see the redemption, the restoration that God is doing in our lives. But other of us, we're still in a season of mourning, 
in a season of grieving, in a season of loss, a season of bleeding. Right? We're all coming from different seasons. And it's cool because when we're all coming from different seasons, we're able to offer up different songs and different offerings and different worship unto God. Like, let me explain. Like, some of us, you know, we're singing, you're a good, good father because God has finally answered our prayers and we're confirming his goodness. But other of us, others of us, we may have just lost a friend. Our marriage isn't going well. Maybe parenting isn't going well. So when, we, when we're singing, good, good father, we're coming from a place of God. Everything isn't perfect right now, but I'm still choosing to believe and trust in your worthiness and goodness in this situation, at this moment in my life. And that's the beauty of Sunday corporate worship. That's why I love it, the fact that the people of God come together and worship because we're all singing the same song. We're all singing the same lyrics, but at the same time, we're offering up different songs because we're all coming from different seasons. Amen. And I don't think that one, you know, a certain song from one season isn't less valuable than the other. Like, I think the offering um, coming from a season of frustration isn't any less valuable than someone who's singing from a season of blessing. No, God is pleased with all songs. God is pleased with all worship. That God is pleased that we would still choose to worship him. And in the words of Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, that we're able to give thanks in all circumstances. And I don't think Abraham's journey of worship was perfect. You know, he had highs, he had lows. He gave into fears. He failed along the journey. But the thing that I love about Abraham so much and his journey is that he gave thanks and worshiped God from the wilderness to the promise. From the beginning of Genesis 22, he worships God in that season of promise. And even when he receives the promise and God throws him a curveball, even then in Genesis 22, he's still willing to worship God in the promise. And that's my prayer for new mercy. That we wouldn't be people who worship God only when we feel like it. That we wouldn't be people who worship God only when we feel like we have it all together that we wouldn't be people who worship God only when it comforts us and when it's comfortable to us. No, but my prayer for your mercy is this, that we would be a people of God who would love God anywhere, who would build altars in every season, that we would be a people of God who would worship Him from the wilderness to the promise and even worship Him even more in the promise, that we would have the heart of Abraham to say, God, wherever you lead me, even if it's in the backstock room of American Apparel where I'm folding printed like leopard bodysuits and catsuits and all different things that girls wear, like, God, I'm going to still worship you here. I'm going to still worship you there. That's what I pray for new mercy, that we'll be people who worship God anywhere. And the truth is, the reality is that, you know, life is going to hit us and sometimes we're not going to feel like we're going to worship. I think we can all, you know, say amen to that. But David, one of the greatest worshipers in history, who wrote one of the, you know, like who wrote Psalms, all the worship songs, you know, Psalm 49, he writes this offer a sacrifice of praise. Offer a sacrifice of praise. Because David knew that sometimes it's gonna feel like a sacrifice to come to church. David knew that sometimes it's gonna feel like a sacrifice to lift your hands up and worship. David knew that sometimes it's going to feel like a sacrifice to actually sing the words on the screen, even when your heart doesn't believe or feel the words. 
He knew that the last thing that you will want to do is worship God when he doesn't seem good and faithful. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that as worshipers, we're called to be thermostats and not thermometers. We're called to be thermostats and not thermometers because thermometers have no power to change the atmosphere or temperature. It only settles and conforms to the atmosphere and the temperature around them. And I think for a lot of us, it's easy to be thermometers and it's easy to just kind of give into the season that you're in, especially if you're going through a difficult season. It's easy to just say, man, I don't feel like worshiping. So you know what? I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to come to church. But we're called to be thermostats because thermostats have the power to change the temperature and shift the culture. And as sons and daughters of the King Most High, where our highest and our primary calling is to worship the one and true living God, we have the capability to shift and change any atmosphere, any season, any culture where where we're placed in. Because why? Because we're called to worship right where we are. That we invite the holy presence of God into seasons, atmospheres, and cultures wherever we are. And that doesn't mean that we have to be passionate, like passionate, like, oh, like, I love you, God. Like, God, you're so good. And be a happy-go-lucky and have a smiling face whenever we worship. No, I think sometimes the most passionate people are people who are going through difficulties. But they still choose to worship God in their difficulties, in their season of hardship. I think sometimes passion looks like choosing God, having the passion and resolve to say yes to God, to worship Him, even when you don't feel like it. I feel like sometimes that's the strongest type of passion out there. So what season are we in? Can we love and worship God where we're at? Another thing that I love about Abraham worshiping from the wilderness to the promise is this. And it's also my prayer for new mercy. That we would also teach our children that we have now and the children that we have in the future to do the same. To worship God wherever they are. The cool thing about Abraham's story and and the beauty of Abraham's legacy is this, is that him building altars, like Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, they, they do the exact same thing. They learn from their father, from the grandfather. In Genesis 26, we see that Isaac builds an altar in Beersheba. And in Genesis 33, we see that Jacob builds an altar in Bethel. And the cool thing about that is this, that those are the exact two places that Abraham also built altars in his journey. So when we worship God in the seasons that we're at, we're actually leaving behind markers of God's presence. We're leaving behind signs that say, man, I worship God through the season. So that when our kids worship and journey through the same season, through the same place, and face the same difficulties and same obstacles, they can look at the altars that you've built and say, man, the one true living God that my parent worshiped, man, God was faithful to my parents. So you know what? I'm going to trust God in this season as well, and I'm going to build an altar where they built an altar, and I know my God is going to be faithful. Amen? The greatest thing that we can ever teach our children is how to be worshipers wherever they are. The greatest thing that you can ever impart onto your children is to become a worshiper wherever they are. But it starts with us. It starts with us to build altars where we are, to show our children, whether we have now or in the future, that worship is our highest calling. In Philippians 4, verses 11 through 12, Apostle Paul writes this, 
for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. Like those are heavy words because Apostle Paul wasn't just an anybody. I mean, he was somebody that went through it all. Suffering, persecution, betrayal, shipwreck. And after going through all those things, he says, I've learned how to be content. I found the secret of living. And I think Apostle Paul meant this, that worship, worship is the key to thanksgiving. That I've learned to be content in all situations because I've learned that I'm called to worship wherever I am. So in closing, I just want to read an excerpt from a devotional. I think we have it on the screen above. Legend has it that a wealthy merchant during Paul's day had heard about the apostle and become so fascinated that he determined to visit him. So when passing through Rome, he got in touch with Timothy and arranged an interview with Paul the prisoner. Stepping inside his cell, the merchant was surprised to find the apostle looking rather old and physically frail. But he felt at once the strength, the serenity, and the magnetism of this man who relied on Christ as his all in all. They talked for some time and finally the merchant left. Outside the cell, he asked Timothy, what's the secret of this man's power? I've never seen anything like it before. Did you not guess, replied Timothy? Paul is in love. The merchant looked puzzled. In love, he asked? Yes, said Timothy. Paul is in love with Jesus Christ. The merchant looked even more bewildered. Is that all? He asked. Timothy smiled and replied, that is everything. That is everything, brothers and sisters, that we worship God where we are. So at this time, we're just going to go into a time of prayer. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here. You know, what season are we in? I think it's important to recognize the season that we're in. And just ask our Father, Lord, what are you trying to show us in this season? How are you calling me to experience your presence in this season? You know, can we be a people that love God anywhere? Can we be a people that love, loves God in our workplace, in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships? Can we be a people of God who worships him from the wilderness to the promise in every season that life brings? Let's pray.